0: Welcome to let's talk about gay stuff. Woohoo! Mm-hmm. We're the podcast where we talk about gay stuff and discuss LGBTQ plus history. We are Thomas, Kendall, and this week we are going to bring you a very special guest interview. Does that make sense a special guest interview uh yeah we have none other than a judith case in windsor who is an lgbt activist and uh you may know her as the surviving spouse of edith windsor who uh edie windsor was the woman who won the supreme court case in 2013 that basically paved the way for marriage equality so iconic iconic we talked about edie Windsor. one of the most
1: important supreme court cases Ever in the U.S. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Gay or otherwise.
0: And that's important, too. I mean, this is not... it. That case is not just one that is... Uh is is important for our community it's important for the the country i mean we have talked about this when we had zaylor stout a while back it's like our history is american history and so this is uh a great interview we talked about edie windsor uh i mean we tried to encompass her whole life so we didn't do her justice uh when we did that so we thought we would um spend some since this case is so big we would spend uh, uh some time on there so if you want to hear more about edie you can listen to episode 67 where we covered her but this one everything you want to know about Edie windsor is going to be in this 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 year interview with the juicy the, bits with judith uh yes so uh so yes that's uh, exciting so stay tuned for that because that will be in in a, a great a great interview she was easy to talk to so not that we've had anyone who's been difficult to talk to but i mean she she shared information for two history nerds like we are uh for her to be able to like just kind of share all that stuff of information was super cool uh and considering the access she has to people um I was it was fun. Um so before we dive in, let's talk about our friends at Bakebones. A recent Gallup poll shows that Americans have reported feeling stress, worry, and anger at the highest levels in over a decade, and while we're growing more and more aware of the stress uh, of the effects of stress on our bodies and minds, we may not have considered the effects that our stress can have on our pets. According to a recent study, there is a synchronization between stress hormones in humans and their dogs. And if you're a dog parent, you probably know that your pup is very good at reading your body language and can quickly pick up on how you're feeling. We're always working to reduce our own stress in any, any way we can. But what about the anxiety we may have passed on to our dogs? Baked Bones has a solution. CBD has been shown to help reduce stress and anxiety in both humans and dogs and Baked Bones has your dog covered. Made from organic, human-grade ingredients and full-spectrum hemp oil, their bones may offer some relief to your anxious pup. You can check out bakedbones.com for more information on CBD for dogs and the other benefits they may provide. Baked Bones offers shipping on all orders over $25 and you can save 15% using the promo code GAYSTUFF15. That's right, the promo code GAYSTUFF15. Baked Bones is LGBTQ owned and operated in, bi- in a- Hello, it's based in Houston, Texas. Baked Bones is now available in the store Man Ready Mercantile, which is based in Houston and in Austin, Texas. Baked Bones proudly donates 10% of all of its profits to no-kill shelters in the U.S. Baked Bones, big dogs, happy! Meow, wolf, Per per, uh, you know this. You know, talk about this recent study and this ad. I mean, I wonder what that study looks like now because the recent study was based on a twenty nineteen study, and a whole shitload of things happened since then.
1: You think pets were upset about Trump losing? Uh,
0: maybe the cats were probably the, the cats were. <laughs> I mean, so if we can figure out how everyone's doing uh, by according to their pets, uh, how's Morky doing, Kendall?
1: last i checked this morning she was alive
0: all right well i guess that we could say the same for you huh we were live and kicking Woo-hoo. last
1: i checked yeah, this afternoon
0: well we'll see if we hear a big thud then <laughs> it's like that could be anything on this podcast over okay. here hello he just spread his legs and boom. Uh, all right. Um, so uh, June is big. You know we're going to talk about uh, uh, the Windsor case, which was a big one back in 2013. But uh, as we're recording today, the Supreme Court uh, uh, dropped an, a ruling, as it does in in June, right? So before we talk about the well, the case, I'm talking about is Fulton v. Philadelphia. Um, I mean, in terms of our community, right? Uh, and in the country, the Windsor case, right? The Obergefell case, Obergefell basically, so Windsor kicked down the door so we could have marriage equality, uh, uh, Obergefell kind of sealed the deal, uh, so it made sure that it was everyone could get married regardless of you know, which state you lived in. Um, and then we had uh, Bostock, uh, which was last year where um, the Supreme Court said you could not uh, discriminate uh, against people based on sexual orientation and gender identity as it related to employment. So you can be fired because you're gay or trans. And then in 2003, my favorite one to talk about was Lawrence v. Texas.
1: Oh, you love that one. We can have sex legally. Legalized the homosexual sex? Yeah. Have you tried it since?
0: The legal stuff? Yeah. Uh, I'd care not to. I know
1: you're doing it before 2003. But once it became legal, I think it lost the allure for you, right? And I was
0: like, why even do it? <laughs> so I became straight.
1: What's the point of going to jail? <laughs> You were just racking up them charges. I was like,
0: "Hello," <laughs> you know. I didn't even think about that. Like, you could have gone to jail. like I was in co- I was at a point in college where I could have gone to to jail. Like, if I would have, th- you know, you think about like in the in the especially um, in Texas, yeah, uh, which was Lawrenceville, Texas. I mean, yeah, it's in the it's in the title, right? Uh, but you think about it because I, I remember talking to someone they're like, oh, so you couldn't have sex when you were in college? I'm like, one, I couldn't have sex when I was in college. As a you know, if you're a gay man, right? But two, like if you did get arrested on some of those charges, if you're in college, how are you gonna apply for a job? You have to list, especially then, and, you know, the rules have have changed uh, in terms of what you have to um, disclose on your job application. But in 2000, you know, I was in college. I was graduated from college in 2002. Um, you know, I would have had to put that disclose yeah. that and it's, it's like basically
1: oh, a sex crime
0: yeah and so what did you do like and so it would have invalidated or made it really difficult to get any uh jobs out there and so when we think oh it's just sex it's like no like no not only could i not have had sex but if i did get arrested i would have been lost out on on uh, numerous job opportunities and which is scary i mean we talk about like the per, you know 40 percent of lgbt or 40% of homeless youth identify as LGBTQ+. I mean, that just, not that I would have gone on the streets, but it would have been, it perpetuates that issue when you get, you know, not only kicked out of your home, but if you do kick that, get kicked out of your home and happen to have gotten to college and uh, get a, try to get a job, get a degree, and then get a job, like you would have, all because you were trying to satisfy your natural Well, urges. years
1: afterwards, they were still, there was in Baton Rouge, they were still arresting people um, for having gay sex, and then the prosecutor was like, I can't um, prosecute this it's because of Lawrence v. Texas. They were still arresting people for harassment.
0: But these laws are still in the books? Yeah, it's crazy. Well, the
1: thing about that does make those arrests easier is that they already have handcuffs on, typically.
0: Hello. And they're already being clubbed. Hey, it's pride, no kink.
1: Oh, yeah, the Gen Zers hate kink
0: at pride. No kink pride. No kink pride. I see a little some pride stuffs popping up, and not just the uh, um, the rainbows on everyone, all these companies' logos. But did you get scared? Was, the, was it the ghost? I felt the ghost. Hallelujah. Kendall just freaked out, so I was wondering what happened. I think we do have a ghost in here. Um, yeah, but you're starting to see some pride stuff popping up here and there, so that's kind of cool. It's starting to feel normal. Again. Are you talking
1: about the rainbow halter tops? Yes. That the tweens are wearing. Yes. And some of the elderly, LGBT. Hey. I'm down
0: for it. All right. The kink. But, again, the kids don't want the kink. I mentioned this case, Fulton v. Philadelphia. So that was decided by the Supreme Court case. It kind of, I don't know. I mean, I I was reading some of the... uh, Well, tell us about it. What is it? Yeah. So it is a case involving adoption uh, in in Philadelphia. So, um, And it wasn't actually an adoption case at... At play, which kind of makes this uh, case a bit complicated. But Philadelphia said they weren't going to do business anymore with Catholic social services, which was a charity organization that was um, helping uh, license foster parents. So, right, you have to go, if you want to be a foster parent, you have to go through this um, this licensing process. So, background checks, affiliated training. with the Catholic Church, right? So. So they said, "Hey, we're not going to." and they I guess they had never uh, done it, but they weren't like we' we don't license same sex couples because if we did that, it would be an endorsement of same sex marriage, which you know violates our beliefs and uh, teachings of the church but so they said, not uh, they would not do same sex married couples. they also wouldn't do unmarried couples, whether it's same sex couple or or a straight couple. They just right you mean
1: to tell me, priests aren't doing gay people.
0: Well, hey." <laughs> That's for they a don't have to be gay. That's for a different topic. Uh, but they, so, so what. The Supreme Court basically ruled, or the what they the kind of the the nuances of this case, right? So they're saying one because the Supreme Court ruled nine to zero that um, what the city of Philadelphia was doing by saying they weren't going to do business with the Catholic uh, Social Services in terms of uh, licensing, so they weren't going to give them a contract to, to mm-hmm. do licensing for the city. They said but you're violating the free exercise clause of the of the First Amendment when you do that, uh, so you can't do that. And why did they say that? They reasoned that one, this contract language is anti. Discrimination contract language that uh, that they were pointing to. They hadn't really they they first said we're going to not do business with you. Then they wanted to update the contract language. So the existing contract language was not speaking to anti discrimination. But they said we're going to update this. And so since we're going to update it, and you're not you know you're violating our our city ordinance of uh, non discrimination, we're not going to do business with you. Um, they also said you know there weren't any cases like there wasn't an actual adoption. There was no um parents you know uh, petitioning parents to say hey the catholic church didn't know or this catholic uh, social service did not uh, grant us a license because we were a same sex couple uh, the Supreme Court also reasoned that you know you could go to other agencies uh, so it wasn't like they were the sole uh, agency to to grant licensing for foster parents And they also said you know this is you know this provision of anti-discrimination uh, that the city of Philadelphia has is, is really one that applies to public services and if you're doing foster care uh, licensing that's really not a public service I mean that we have all have access to because you have to go through. A number of steps to become an actual. So platform. they
1: ruled that the city could not say um, you're required to use your services as this Catholic um, third party. They they were not required to. You cannot require them to work with gays right okay
2: yeah
0: that's that's what it boils down to um because uh and and it it, so if you read what do you think about that you're catholic well
1: or grew up catholic
0: and going through a foster care process Mm -hmm. so i do i mean me being catholic and also lgbtq um it is it is a complicated relationship right i mean because the in one hand the church says we you know we don't think highly of you um you're a sinner and uh while the pope has tried to make some headway i still can't get married in the eyes of the church right because i'm violating of all the things we do as sinners this is the one that sticks out right um every other thing you can come back into our fold anytime but uh, um damn if you have sex with someone of the same uh, gender so um that's that's the catholic church right so you reconcile that to being like well that's i think people manipulating the um the scripture uh but yeah um in terms of adopting the catholic church i think it's i mean i personally i think it's stupid i mean i because again having
1: religion has way too much power in this country in this world i mean when you think about it i'm not catholic i'm not any religion but i have to adhere to their rules you know and do we extend that to muslims do we extend that to Buddhist to extend that because you anybody can create a religion. Right. I mean, Church of Scientology is in our parents' lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just very dangerous when you start saying just because you call it a religion, we have to honor it. And right. do you honor it all equally? If not, well, then that's that violates another religion's uh, First Amendment rights.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think you know, the the legal ease of this all is is really. Complicated in terms of, I mean, for it to be a unanimous decision, you knew it was down to the technicality of it because I don't think the liberal justices were tended to be like, oh yeah, we 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 think the Catholic Church should violate, um, you know, the no, it was the
1: specific case, and the conservative justices are mad because they're like, it does nothing. All they have to do is change a few words in their rule book, and then um, they can deny right contracts they, with the this uh, Catholic foster agency
0: yeah and the city basically and the Supreme Court basically said you can have some of these I want discerning factors uh, in your but you have to do it uh, neutrally they they felt, the Supreme Court also felt which is what they did with the the uh, the, the cake baker the cake shop case in Colorado uh, back in 2018 was like you can um, you can you know use some of these things but you can't just do it on the face of just because they're a religious organization, you're coming after them. That's where the Supreme Court takes Well, this is what the issue.
1: Catholic, Supre- I mean, not the Catholic, the Supreme Court right now, the conservative Supreme Court and what Christians, Republicans are salivating. They're so excited because they now they have Trump put three conservatives on the court and they're wanting to overturn a lot of issues based on religious freedom. Um, and their the fear is is that they're going to start whittling away at the... And they also said that precedence does not matter. Right. Which has always been like this sacred thing to where you r- rarely overturn precedence. Um, but Brett Kavanaugh is saying precedence doesn't really matter. So the fear is amongst uh, many LGBTQIA+, ampersand... I, uh, people is that they're going to just slowly use religion to take away rights that we've been getting, such as the, like the the Windsor case that we're going to talk about today.
0: Right. I mean, it, it it is, so you can get married. The thing I think they're going to go after is like, so you can get married, but you can't have, you don't, doesn't mean I need to give you the same uh, benefits. Your, your husband, Kendall, your doesn't need to get the same benefits as uh, Joey and his wife, Sarah. Because-
1: well, it's what they're doing with Roe v. Wade. They're, planning on making abortion illegal bit by bit to make it basically to, to frame it so narrowly and to say, well, you can get an abortion if it's in the first four weeks. Well, a lot of people don't know if you're pregnant. A lot right. of women don't know if they're pregnant. So they're saying, well, it's not banned. You technically can get an abortion yeah. or they have to say the doctor has to have uh, visitation rights at a hospital instead of just at the clinic. Right. Um, well, rarely do any of them. And it's unnecessary. Uh, so they're saying, "Well, you can. Your doctor just has to." So it's it's making it harder and harder and harder. Uh, the fear is that they're going to do that with um, gay rights and trans rights.
0: Yeah, I mean, we'll hear Judith say, "Oh, I, in a bit, like I, I don't think that uh, you know marriage equality will be overturned." I, I honestly, I don't know. I mean, I, I, it's not, to, it's not. To say that it wouldn't be overturned, but it could be significantly reduced in terms of what Of course, they all they you have. need is
1: five Supreme Court so. justices to say it was wrong. It passed five to four. Yeah. So it could easily turn.
0: Yeah. I, like I said, I anything don't...
1: the last four years taught us, the Trump administration, is that anything can happen. Yep. He um, was pushing for, he honestly thought, as did millions of his followers, that, well, the Supreme Court says I won the election without any proof, then I won the election. And there were many, many articles and fears that the Supreme Court, three of which he put on, would say, oh, yeah, well, it's true. There's enough doubt. You've created enough doubt, mm-hmm. which isn't that far off from what happened in Bush v. Gore in 2000. Yeah, so Anything can happen because uh, the white Christian conservative tactic now is to push every because they're becoming more and more of a minority. They only need five people to agree with them. And it's the five people in Supreme Court,
2: mm-hmm.
1: five out of nine. Yep. Um, when you look at it like that, the Supreme Court is the ultimate. They're the most powerful because they can invalidate anything Congress and uh, the presidency does. And the only check on them we have is getting them to the Senate. Well, the Senate is now so partisan. Yep. That the, and laughable. That it's not as if, you know, that is going to be a roadblock to some wacko getting on the court. Brett Kavanaugh was accused um, of rape. Yeah. And they it emboldened him. He became more popular amongst the Republicans.
0: Right. Kind of until he's ruled against... I mean, last last year he was on... Uh, he sided with the, the liberal cause, so to speak. Right, but the-
1: in the moment where it mattered the most, where someone came with credible accusations of rape... Um, When it was that time to decide whether or not he was going to be on the court, he became more popular.
0: Oh yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Yep.
1: Scary times. Yes. Mm.
0: Yeah. So this case Fulton v. Philadelphia again, it it doesn't go the way I think many in our community would have liked it to go. To say, hey, you can't be, you know, Catholic charities. You if, because here's my my beef with it. Right. It's like if you're going to get taxpayer dollars then you should adhere to the general rules that we all have to do. So getting out of this as a, especially if you're an organization, not a person. So they're claiming a religious company, exemption. Yeah, they're yeah. saying, this is. I, I think that's, an organization shouldn't have that. Now the Supreme court has said, Hey, organizations basically, they do have a right to freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Uh, So, which I think is, 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 is crazy, but that's, that's the current, uh, that's a prevailing thought right now. So if you consider organizations can have a, a freedom of religion, then, uh, then they can have this. But I think, you know, when it comes to taxpayer dollars that the, you know, the city of Philadelphia is using our taxpayer dollars to, uh, um, you know, Provide services to uh, uh, license uh, foster parents. Um, I think that's crazy. Now, of course, the conservative folks are going to say, "Well, I think it's crazy that some you know queer couple can become uh, foster parents. You know, the damage it does to the kids." But again, as we've noted through uh, numerous uh, through the Windsor case, the Obergefell case, and other cases, there's no compelling uh, uh, argument or research out there that says two parents of the same sex are going to uh, disadvantage a child or put them in harm right that that's not that's not a valid logical thing uh, the only argument the Conservatives had at the time was well this is what we've always been doing and it just doesn't feel right right but no hard science to, to support that so um, so I don't like the ruling um, I mean I, I think if you look at HRC and other organizations uh, they didn't consider this a total loss because it wasn't saying hey you could discriminately uh, uh, indiscriminately discriminate against uh, uh, against the LGBTQ community uh, but it also did kind of give this you know, an out for, for at least the, you know, some organizations, the Catholic Services uh, group in particular.
1: Well, to be continued because Roe v. Wade was 1972, I think, and they, every year they've spent millions of dollars fundraising off of it and putting candidates who they say sole mission is and we're going to get Five people on the court at least that are willing to overturn it, so that's never ending. So these um gay issue gay rights issues are not going away anytime soon.
0: It's all those religious folks. You know, you love especially you love a religious folk. I mean, not only is your family religious, which you love. I'm sure you I know you love your family, but that little boy you used to have a crush on from American Idol.
1: Oh, the little Mormon David Archuleta. Mm-hmm. Oh, I did have a yearning, burning. When I first met you,
0: him. it was that you. I think you made me one day. I was going over to your house, and I was like, all right, I'm going over." It was late, and you made me watch American Idol, and you were watching, crushing over David Archuleta. You were like, "Oh, he's so cute, he's so tiny." Mm-hmm. And now, he's part of the community,
1: kind of. What <laughs> did did you read his now that he's come off I've lost interest? I read a good, a really good article. So he's very Mormon from Utah and a very interesting article from out Mormon man who said, if there's one thing you noticed about Mormon men specifically that come out, it's a lot of what David Archuleta said that says, basically this is something I'm struggling with. Um, I'm still a good person. Um, I didn't just decide, I've put a lot of thought into this. I didn't just decide this. Basically like this pleading that, um, please don't think of me as a horrible person. Right. I I know
0: we think gay people are are destined to hell. Uh, I'm
1: not being rash and irrational. Right. Um, This is something I've been struggling with, and I'm on a journey, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Very sad, because the fact that he has to say that is based on a religion that has told him that you are not allowed to be who you are. I mean, it's... as dumbed down as change it or you think you're gay no change it
0: right well it's a, i mean the promised land is going to heaven right and so if you have put your whole life and all your stock is in in that and then you do the one thing that's going to send you to hell which is you know again you can do all variety of things wrong but heaven forbid you're a man who sucks another man's cock then you're like whoa you're destined to go to hell right so um that's <laughs> sorry was that too graphic for you <laughs>
1: I'm going to need to see pictures
0: of David Archuleta. There's probably out there somewhere. (laughs) Oh, not of that. Um, I don't know. I just, uh, it's
1: very sad. It's very, um, see for me who thinks it's all, I don't care anyone's religion. Just don't let it affect me. I don't judge if people are rich. You can't be someone who doesn't believe in religion and and is so high minded to think that you're not going to have anything to do. The world is like 90% religious. I feel like, yeah. um, so you kind of just deal within this country, if you live in this country, this country's Christianity, you know, you're constantly like, are they a crazy Christian? Are they an accepting Christian? Are they, you know? Um, So to me, it's sad that so many people, including my struggles when I was younger, not from my own religion, but being a preacher's kid in the deep South and dealing with other people's religion and how they morphed their religion into something hateful yeah well not even morph it because there's a lot of hatefulness within the bible but um he struggled with that to where he's in his 30s no actually i think he's 29 now um has dealt with that to where he had to beg people please don't turn on me yeah i promise i'm still a good person what a wasted mental space yeah you yeah, know,
0: absolutely. I mean, in artistry. I mean, think of how many good, you know, pop songs, dance songs he could have come up with for our community. Maybe right, and OnlyFans. Come on, just kidding. Uh, I, uh, I do. We love you, Archie. <laughs> Maybe we get him on. The... No. Uh, the what I think is interesting, though, is like being sort of, like his network, right? I mean, to your point, is like he's like trying to plea to his his friends and family. Like, don't abandon me. I'm not a bad person. But I remember talking to someone recently who's
1: been brainwashed to think this is the way your life has to be, or else you're going to burn eternally in a pit of fire.
0: Right. And if you have no other friends outside of that, then it's a scary place. I mean, you are lonely. Like when I came out, I didn't feel like I was going to be alone. Uh, and so for him, because again, I was talking to someone who was in very much in a Baptist Methodist kind of space, one of those. I don't know which one. It wasn't both, one of them. Uh, but he was married to a woman. Decided to, you know, finally it was time to come out. And then, you know, he basically lost all his friends, all his family. He said, uh, and he was really lonely. And I can't imagine that. So then trying to go out into the. Uh, the world as a you know young twenty something as a gay person and this I I feel like now can be a bit scary right I mean you have no reference and all the references you do know of the LGBTQ community particularly gay men is is uh, hypersexualized and stereotypical right so and then you pop on grinder maybe to find to meet someone and it's very it can taint your world, right? So I uh, there's
1: a lot of taint on there,
0: that there is. So I I am sympathetic to uh, the folks who are having to go through that. Because I, like I said, when I came out, I didn't feel alone. Um, but
1: well, there's a lot of a lot of people say, well, what people in my own mm, orbit. orbit that have said, what more do you want? You can get married. You can serve in the military. Not that you ever would. <laughs> so they think it's done. Just like martin luther king cured right racism done and then just he set it up for barack obama to just put it in the hoop um there's still talk of that and here you have david archuleta who's a very successful celebrity cutie pie um that has still felt like such turmoil and felt like he had to tell people i'm not a bad person we know archie we love you
0: Did you write him a letter you no. probably would write a letter. That's what you would. You wouldn't write something on social media. You would actually handwrite a letter. Like lick that pen. Well,
1: off. I wrote him a letter uh, in bubble letters. Sprayed my perfume. Kissed it with my lipstick, <laughs> and then burned it in the fireplace. What are
0: you fans called? What are you fan? What are the Archie fans called?
1: Archer backs. <laughs> Sweat backs. Sort <laughs> Archie letter. Oh jeez.
0: Um, all right. Well. Uh, how about we talk about uh, – it is Pride Month, and this June uh, – this week, actually, it's happening. So if you're not signing up for it, you better do it now. Uh, the Greater Houston LGBT Chamber of Commerce Pride and Business event on June 24, 2021. The Pride and Business event is a unique opportunity to celebrate the important role of LGBTQ plus and allied businesses in the greater Houston economy. The event underscores how the LGBTQ plus and allied business community works with the broader community and public officials to realize a better Houston. The event this year is also a celebration of the Chamber's milestone five-year anniversary and what to expect at this virtual event that they're having the chamber is going to present its inaugural pride and in business awards which will recognize the contributions made by chamber members in building a more diverse and inclusive business community and you'll also hear from keynote speaker lewis vega who is the president who is president of north american vice president of government government affairs and advocacy at Dow. the pride and business oh by the way melanie larson of abc uh local news here uh, she's going to be uh moderating that event so definitely it's going going to be a fun little kiki pride and business is the only event in houston focused on L- on the lgbtq plus business community during pride month so reserve your spot now or better yet you can still be a sponsor if you'd like to for this pride and business event which will be held on june 24th 2021 from 11 30 a.m to 1 p.m central standard time you can learn more at houston lgbtchamber.com forward slash 2021 pib once again celebrate pride with the greater houston lgbt chambers pride and business event on june 24th all right, so uh, let's do a slang bang. <gasps> slang bang.
2: Pew, pew, pew.
1: This week's uh, gay slang of the week is okay. So, and we're tonight we're going to talk about Edie Windsor, and Judith, um, her wife, wanted to get a point to us across to us that she was a very sexual. Edie was a very sexual, vivacious, um, sexy woman, and which I was. can totally see. Yes, see those
0: pictures. The way she just.
1: With a really good sense of humor, so I dedicate this one to Edie Windsor. I'm
0: pour one out for Edie.
1: It's called "Cleaning Your Cage Out."
0: <laughs> um, this
1: is a Polari from because we did Polari as a topic um, from the 1930s slang that was common amongst lesbians. Cleaning your cage out
0: is that preparing for supper time
1: or cleaning her cage out actually? Oh, kind of linguist.
0: Okay, yeah. All right.
1: Might not be my cup of tea, but uh, what? Uh, yeah,
0: well, cleaning your cage out. So she was... I prefer my tea with a penis in it. <laughs> what? She was cleaning her cage out. I don't think we get into that graphic there when we talk to Judith, but we do have a good good Kiki key key with Judith. Um, she opened it saying, you know, I want to have fun, and I think we had a great time talking to her. Uh, as mentioned, she is the surviving spouse of Edith Windsor. So Edie Windsor, like you said, the the winner of the um the uh the landmark uh united states v windsor case um judith Casey in windsor of course is she's an lgbtq activist and i i would like i said uh earlier and say again when we're talking to her i consider her a, histor- a historian just because of the fact that i mean she is like a walking encyclopedia of of her of of evie windsor's life right so she knows uh, the places she worked, the 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 where she lived, uh, just kind of the paths she walked, and all the events she was at. So it, it was so fascinating to talk to talk to her and hear hear the story uh, about the relationship and about Edie Windsor and Edie's Edie's relationship with uh, Thea Spire, who was her her wife, which really kind of put this case out there, the the Windsor case out there. Um, Edie Windsor, she was born June twentieth, nineteen twenty nine, um, and she was the the eighty year old eighty years old when she decided to take on uh, the United States government the name of marriage equality. Um, this case started off as a tax issue. Edie, like I said, was married to Thea Spire. Uh, the couple met in the 1960s back when you had to like, when the, you know, if you were a lesbian, you had to draw the shades to, you know, hold hands with your uh, your partner or kiss or clean up. Cage. Cage, huh? uh, and uh, But th- th- these two were very successful women. Uh, we'll talk about uh, Edie uh, and how she, she was not only an activist, but she was a rock star, like techie programmer at IBM. Like she was like at the top of the technical realm there, uh, and pretty successful. Um, and so it's it's cool to hear this uh, what uh, what Judith has to say about uh, about Edie in that space because that that's not a really a side we know about her. But in 2007, uh, Thea, uh, she had MS, and among other health issues, and was told that uh, she had less than a year to live, and so Thea and Edie decided uh, they would get married. Of course, we couldn't do it in, in the U.S., so they moved to Canada and, and got married in 2007. In 2009, Thea died, and in a grieving winter, she had, to, you know, she had to pick up the pieces. She had to figure out how to kind of move on and had to uh, do the kind of the the nuts and bolts things of trying to have to settle the matters along with what thea had left her and when she was doing that um... (laughs) And she tells an interesting story about when, when uh, Edith found out uh, that uh, she had to pay a significant tax bill to the IRS as well as to the the to the, the state of New York. So in total, it was like five hundred thousand dollars that she was going to pay in taxes because of all. Everything well, federally, I know it was three hundred sixty-three thousand. Yeah. Yes, and then another two hundred thousand in in New York state taxes. So, um, so she was uh, again. Versus, it
1: was, I think if it were a straight couple, it would be either zero or hardly anything.
0: Yeah. And well and that's the, that's the thing that she was like this is ridiculous I shouldn't have to pay for this I was I've been with this woman for 40 years legally and, married you know, in Canada right and you're gonna tell me after she's like no um and you know this go ahead
1: and in 2008 uh the governor of New York said we will recognize marriages outside of our jurisdiction where it's legal
0: right and of course on a federal level which is the whole case right these uh um same-sex marriages were not we're right, not, uh, federally recognized, right, and so she took this to to the court. She first took it on to the uh, to through the New York State courts, and uh, she won. Um, and she uh, Judith will say she got she got she got what she wanted. She got didn't have to pay or you know, minimize the the tax burden, and then but she she realized that uh, there was there was a bigger prize here, and it wasn't for her. It was for for all of our community, and more importantly, I mean not just for, more importantly, but equally as important for for our country. And so she took the fight at 80 years old. I mean, we talk about all this like, oh, I'm 30 something, I'm 41, I'm so old. And then you realize like an 80 year old woman,
2: mm-hmm.
0: a grieving spouse yeah. who's got like, and who finally won her case at some point within within the New York decided, no, I want to take this on to the Supreme Court. And so she did, and um, you know it wasn't simple, right? I mean, two thousand nine was when this case started. It uh, final he- ruling in twenty thirteen, uh, where uh, the Supreme Court ruled that uh, Section three of DOMA was unconstitutional. Defense of marriage act. Defensive you know? marriage act, which was signed by Bill Clinton, um, mm-hmm. and uh, she said the federal, basically the federal government could could. Uh, um, section 3 was said the federal government could not recognize same-sex marriages. And so um, with that ruling, I mean, it invalidated 7,800 laws and 1,100 tax laws. That's
1: crazy. Federal laws, yeah. Federal laws. It's, didn't invalidate, it didn't invalidate—it didn't turn over state bans on same-sex marriage, which is at Obergefell Obergefell, case Obergefell, did. Yep. Obergefell. Um, But what it did was it said the federal government cannot not recognize— a same sex marriage. Right. Or marriage between people of the same sex.
0: Right. So, which it, was huge. Yeah. I mean,
1: so really the only thing left was Obergefell right. case, which said um, states can't ban same-sex marriages.
0: Right. And other arguments in favor, so with Bostock, whatever, like, they, they're they always coming back to the Windsor case. So, I mean, such a huge thing. I mean, precedent-setting, uh, obviously for Obergefell, but for other cases that came. And I'm sure future cases will come forward, right? I mean, this basically says we, we, we are equal. We can't be discriminated against, right? So, um, and... Just a, a huge huge win, and I think I mean to say we're eternally grateful. You're married, I'm married. We're not married to each other, uh, but it is it is all because of Ed Windsor. So, with that, let's hear from Judith Case in Windsor. All right. Well, we are excited to welcome a very special guest, uh, someone who we've connected on through social media. Uh, where there's been a mutual uh, exchange, mutual uh, uh, appreciation for the social media posts, particularly on int- Instagram. So, with all that to say, we are excited to welcome to our show Judith Casen Windsor, uh, who is an LGBTQ activist and uh, his- I-, I will say historian because of the virtue of the next piece that you often describe yourself as as the surviving spouse of Edith Windsor, Edith Windsor, our Edie Windsor, who is an icon in in LGBTQ plus history for helping pave the way for marriage equality. So we are excited, excited, excited to have you, Judith, uh, join us today. So thank you so much.
3: Yeah, I'm excited to be here. We're oh. gonna have fun. Yes, for
0: sure. Uh, Everything
3: you want to know about Edie, but we're, but we're afraid to ask.
0: <laughs> Love it. All right, we are gonna go in deep then. This is gonna be good. Um, there's so much to cover with uh, with with Edie Windsor because of her iconic uh, uh, status as as you know helping again pave the way for marriage equality. But I mean, she was so much more than that. I mean, long before before all of that, and I want to get into you know, the history of like how. This small woman goes on and takes the United, takes on the United States of America. But yeah. before we get in there, like how how did you meet Edie Windsor? Like how did you guys get to know each other and then become married?
3: Um, yeah, there's a story. Um, you know, when you lived in New York, you knew Edie, you, you knew Edie Windsor and you knew Thea Spire. They were just they were very prominent in you know the whole New York thing. We have a very big community, but we also have a very like cohesive. Get along. We all work together. And Edie and Thea were always very well known that, you know, when they were in a room, you knew they were in a room. Um, I met Edie and Thea probably like uh, it's over a decade now at this point because Thea passed away in 2009 and I met Thea. And when I met Thea, I don't remember meeting Edie, but Mm -hmm. I do remember meeting Thea. I was introduced to her a couple of times and we spoke a little bit, but I don't even remember Edie being there. (laughs) And about a year after, Uh, thea passed away uh, sage gave Edie the lifetime achievement award Mm -hmm. and when she gave her when she got that award i was sitting at a table and i looked up and i don't have these kind of things i was kind of a player like Edie and thea and i was having a good time and i was dating (laughs) i don't know what happened but i looked as she was up on stage and receiving this award and you have to remember if you like you can also watch the video on youtube she is much more shy, much more reserved. Mm -hmm. And your head is, you know, it's a whole thing. But there was something about her that I was very, very drawn to. And that's kind of how it happened. And then I just started seeing her, you know, everywhere I went. And so I would notice her. And right after that, there was, um, that was the, so in 2010 was the first, um, what do you call it? Press conference that they had Mm -hmm. about, the Windsor case and about marriage equality um, was at the LGBT Center of New York, and she was on New York One in the morning. And I was getting ready for work, and I see her on New York One. I'm like, Oh my God, that's 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 the woman that you know I saw at Sage. And so you know, New Yorkers, we all knew about the case, you know, in 2010. You know, and we followed it from 2010 2011. It had to go to, through you know New York courts, New York sp- Supreme Court. You know, we had to go through that whole process, and we were along with Edie for for the entire thing.
0: Well, that's fascinating. I mean, to to you, you have those moments. You're talking about like true love, that love at first sight. I mean, obviously, you said he had met her before, but it just there was that moment that you saw her yeah. on stage, and it just kind of clicked. Like, uh, like one
3: of those hokey, weird moments. Yeah,
0: that's so cool. Uh, so, I to explain it, <laughs> I mean, there's something magic, right? It was destiny, and I mean, the the it you, and it'll be evident as we talk more and more in terms of how how why it's become part of your destiny. I mean, in terms of you know, bringing but forward,
3: you know, and like I said, that you know, she got the lifetime achievement in 2010, and then you know, the case started in 2010, so she was really busy, and you know, I would see her at events, and to get near Edie Windsor was no easy task, and most of the time, you know, I would always go up and say hello to her, and there got to a point where. Like she would finally recognize me, but I, I chased Edie for five years. Oh wow! It was a, a five-year ordeal.
1: What did she later say about her recollections of meeting you? Did she have a um, similar moment of, wow?
2: No,
3: no. <laughs> no she did not. <laughs> but you know, she got to the point where you know, I was at every single event, whether it was Callan Lord, whether it was Hedrick Martin, whether it was you know the Hamptons tea Dance, Whether she saw, used to see me every single you know. At every single event you know, I'm very involved like that so she started to see me more and more and finally it was it was at a Cal and Lord event um during like the dinner break I went over to her table you know just to say hello very pol- politely you know as I usually did and you know I would kind of joke with her every once in a while and I say you know when these days Edie Windsor you're going to go out with me <laughs> and she whipped around in her chair and she put her finger in my face <sighs> and she was like stop teasing me
0: Oh, oh! She. Was I a- asked
3: her out for lunch. She said no. I asked her out for this, and so she said no. I mean, all these random things I did throughout the, those five years, you know. And I wouldn't say moss was growing under my feet. I was, <laughs> I was dating. I was doing whatever I was going to do. And um, even at that Calan Lord event, I had a date that night, and I literally like shoved her. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'll meet you back at the table because that's she took my business card, and that's sort of when it happened. But
0: what, what was it didn't, about I me? Mean, she, didn't,
3: she didn't think I was serious. Well, to no, your I was serious.
0: to your point, I mean, you were obviously dating other. I mean, you're an attractive, successful woman. Like, what is the what is the? I mean, what was it that Edie had that uh, that uh, caused you to be like, uh, I'm going to put everything else aside, and and Edie Windsor is going to be my my focus in terms of you know, a, a partner and you know, eventually spouse.
3: Um, we were like we were that connected. Yeah, you know. I I felt something for her, and then as soon as she paid attention to me, she felt it also. Mm. Yeah,
0: I love it, that. It, I, know, I,
3: once once we went out, you know, once you know, once that happened, it was it was very mutual.
0: What, what you're describing, she, though. That, she had to
3: catch up a little bit, but she caught up real quick.
0: <laughs> she, she learned. Just the, the love, though. I mean, there's so many things against uh, that the type of relationship that you had, right, in terms of society's normal way of thinking, in terms of uh, same-sex relationships, in terms of age. And, and you guys uh, found a way to say, screw all that. We're going to make this happen. That's that's really awesome. So you, she finally uh, let you. You know,
3: age is just a number. Yeah. We were really connect I mean just yeah. Yeah, you know, none of none of that none of that even phased us.
0: That's that's great. I mean again it it's just uh, like you said, the the, the the tides of society are against you, and you said well, love is stronger than whatever the norms are out there. So, uh, which is, it says a lot about uh, you know again the fight she would take on uh, in in the the Windsor in her case to the Supreme Court. She so you um, you finally convinced her uh, to to go on a date. I guess I understood from a story you told that uh, you walked her home from a benefit dinner, and that's really kind of where the the sparks uh-huh. like, you, you you got her.
2: Yeah,
3: yeah.
0: So what, what yeah, was what was, was it, it what was it about that night?
3: Um, nothing in particular. It, you know, the first Monday of December, the LGBT Center in New York has like their their holiday party. So it's early in December, and I walked her home that night. And um, you know, we just talked for hours and hours and hours. And um, yeah, that was it.
0: Yeah. That was oh, it. December, yeah, still a nice time that, in, that was it. in New York City. I mean, it's not too cold yet. I mean, depending. depending. I said... It, romantic, and, very yeah, romantic. December, I don't know. Uh, romantic? Uh, you,
3: know, you, know, I, you know, we don't live in Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. wind's blowing sideways and towards you and the snow. <laughs> right. and, no, it's, it's not like that. So, no. And, and, and plus, you know, we're talking about a three or four block radius. I mean, you know, the center's on 13th Street and we live on, you know, on 8th. So, you know, it's... Through Greenwich Village, which you know aren't the long Midtown blocks or the shorter kind of blocks, but it was ten or fifteen, you know, ten-minute walk home, and then we just stayed up for hours and just talked and talked and talked.
0: And so, was this uh, uh, after the after the case to to the Supreme Court, or was this before the? After, after, okay, all right.
3: I started this thing in 2010. Case then went into Stratosphere. I mean, you could not get near Edie Windsor. I mean, when, you know, when I I joke about it, it's like when we went into, you know, the big dinners at Cipriani's, it was 1500 people, 2000 people. I don't care who was there. Edie was the most important person in the room. And it was like when Edie walked into a room, it was like Beyonce walked into the room. It was chaos and everybody was. So there there were times I was at events and I couldn't even get close enough to her.
1: How did she take that attention? Because you said she was kind of shy. At times Um,
3: throughout that process, you know, she really, you know, she was shy accepting that award, you know, but she wasn't shy as a person, you know, but as she started to do press conferences and, you know, talk to media and do, you know, things like that. She came more and more out of her shell. And as she continued to win the cases in New York Mm -hmm. and New York Supreme Court and all that other stuff, you know, it just, it just came, it, it came very naturally to her. Because she was an amazing speaker. I mean, he, that's the, another thing about either, You know, the two people that say that, that asked me, you know, what are two things? Were, you know, tell me something about Edie Windsor we don't know. One, she was extremely funny. She was absolutely funny, mm. and she looked, you know, very, you know, prim. You know, and prop, but, you know, She was very funny and had a little bit of a filthy mouth, but just <laughs> she had a typical New Yorker's mouth. Like that's, like it's just it just rolls. And um, the other thing was is how brilliant she was. She was one of, I mean, just not only just brilliant in the way she spoke and the way she carried herself and whatever, but like in technology, how brilliant her IQ was extremely high. And, you know, when they say she, you know, got the highest technical rank at IBM, you know, we're talking about like Edie was doing Fortran and coding and DOS and all this other stuff, like in the late 50s, early. And like that kind of brilliant.
0: Who's gonna say, let's let's talk about that. Because I mean, I mean we, we think about Edie as, a, as a, the pink hat, the, the the scarf, right, the uh in and, and the case, right? But there's so much more to her. Uh, I mean so- you described the technology piece, but even before that, I mean, she was married to a man at one point. Right. And, 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 (laughs) and, 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 uh, and divorce. I mean, so these are all things that people, people don't know about her. So can you talk to us a little bit about Edie Windsor, the person, I mean, obviously the technology piece and and everything, you know, all the Um, stuff in between, you know, it,
2: you
3: know, in the book, it, it goes into sort of her, you know high school years and post high school years and she used to wait tables at in Atlantic City you know for the summers and that's when she would have romances and you know we we're talking about in the you know in the you know in the 1950s and 1940s i mean that was you were scared for your life like that was no joke you know when she went to college and you know you were scared for your life and this was just post world war 2 so you know it was tough um, and you know in those days, you know, the choices for women were a secretary, a nurse, or a teacher. Those were really your choices of career choices. If you were going to even have a career, women didn't really have careers in those days. You know, they got married, they had kids, you know, women couldn't get mortgages. And even if you, you know, were married and you went for a mortgage, you know, the wife's salary didn't count towards your financial income because they're like, oh, she's going to get pregnant in two years and and quit her job. Right. I mean, things that like, as much as things have come a long way, we're not quite right.
2: there yet.
3: Mm-hmm. Why we're even having a discussion about abortion 48 years later, I'm, I'm not quite sure either. But, you yeah. know,
2: you here mentioned-
3: we are. Um, but, you know, so, you know, Edie didn't see another choice but to get married. And she married one of her older brother's friends. And, you know, it just it just didn't work. But she thought very highly of this man. I mean, she just adored him. And she told him the truth. And, and she left and she left for Greenwich Village. So she figured she could like to become gay to sort of immerse herself into that, you know, kind of village bohemian gay life.
1: Did she ever tell you there's a sense of like a relief in telling him that? I mean, divorce is always can be very hard. But did she ever say it was this sense of like, I feel like I can start living because not only did I tell I, my husband know, I'm lesbian, but moved to New well, York.
3: It actually wasn't a relief for her. She felt Mm -hmm. very, very guilty about it. And she felt guilty about it her entire life. And oddly, I mean, this is when she's like 22, 23 years old. And, you know, they got divorced. And then he went on. A few years later, he married a lovely woman and... I'm in contact. Edie was in contact with her. I'm in contact with her. I, you know, her daughter is around my age. We, we speak. I invite them to anything that I go to in Philadelphia and they always come. Um, unfortunately, Saul, you know, passed away uh, like almost a decade ago. Mm-hmm. So he's gone. But, you know, they got divorced when she was like 22, 23. And out of nowhere on her 70th birthday, he called her. Wow. And was like, I just wanted to wish you a happy birthday, and I love you, Edie. You know, I mean, he was just—he was just a really nice man, wow. and she felt very, very guilty about what you know. She did to him
0: was it because she put i mean because I, I think about the kendall's told his coming out story and he said you know growing up the thought of having to go through the motions of marrying a woman and having kids and like living that lie was just something that was really stressful for him the prison sentence so was it was it that was, was it that guilt or what did or does she was she did she feel guilty about having she, him she, have a divorce on his record on his record he, so to speak? He,
3: he had you know he had very strong core values and integrity and so the whole fact that she brought him into this lie of hers and you know, she just, she felt very guilty about it. And she heard him like that.
0: And so you know, she, wasn't his fault. so she, uh, then you said divorced, moved to, to Grinch village, uh, and, uh, decided to get a master's degree. Uh, yes. and then, and then, uh, became a programmer at IBM. Mm-hmm. And, and then
3: she got the ranks very, very quickly. Um, you know, I, like I said, you know, she achieved the highest technical rank at IBM. And like people have asked me, well, what does that mean exactly? And I'm like, she would be like, you know, the chief technology officer of the white house, like Mm -hmm. Megan was, I mean, she she was at that kind of level at IBM. And, you know, the things that she talked about that she did, like, you know, I took her to go see the movie hidden figures Mm -hmm. and what they were doing at NASA, she was doing for the energy atomic commission at the same time. Because when she saw that IBM, when they broke down that door you know, to get that big IBM into that room,
2: yeah,
3: Edie jumped up from her seat, and she started to explain it to the oh, whole wow. audience, like how <laughs> it worked. And we have documentation that shows where that was the IBM 740, and it says ES Windsor, October 61, preliminary, IBM 741.
0: You know, it's these stories...
3: Aimed, I mean, it's just, it's fascinating. It's- and then, you know, to go on where, you know, she retired from IBM in the, in the mid seventies and then went back to IBM in the late, you know, eighties when the stock market crashed, because she was very worried about finances and, you know, taking care of Thea. She went back to IBM and that's when her team built the code for like, when you go into the grocery store and it goes, boop, you know, that scanner, mm-hmm. Edie built that code also. Wow. Yeah, and also you know I I referred to her as Forrest Gump. She just knew everybody, and you know, way back when you know when IBM in the early '70s sold what was then called the World Wide Web to Microsoft. I don't know if you remember that far back, yeah. but they all went to Bill Gates' estate, and you know there were IBM people who were very upset about it. But IBM, you know, higher ups were saying you know they thought this was just a one software deal. And they sold it off to Microsoft. Guess who was sitting next to Bill Gates when this was? Wow. Edie <laughs> Windsor.
1: Yeah. Well, she would have been at the Atomic Energy Commission in the 50s at the height of the Lavender Scare when they were purging gays from the government.
3: Well, she, she used to tell the story all the time in the stories in the book when she went for that interview because she had to get you know security clearance. and It was major security clearance. And she you know read about every single state and what you had to do to go to this interview. And in the state of New York, you had to have at least three articles of women's clothing.
2: Oh wow! So
3: she wore high heels and stockings, crinlins and a skirt and, you know, did her hair and lipstick and the whole thing. (laughs) And she went on that interview. And if they asked her if she was gay or a lesbian, she was not going to lie, but they didn't Mm. ask her. Talking about, like, not only was it the lavender scare that was, you know, in the days of communism and her sister's old teacher or some like something, you know, four removed. He was from the Communist Party. And so they kept drilling her about this teacher. And she was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. We hear this petrified that they're going to ask her about her sexuality. And they're like asking her about like one of her sister's teachers who was a communist. So there was yeah you
0: know, there was a lot going on in the fifties. It's so weird. I mean, you've heard that some of these laws before, but I mean, they, they affected all of the LGBTQ community. But gay men, I mean, because we recently uh, highlighted Frank Kameny on our, our as one of our topics, and I mean, he got uh, obviously terminated from his job for being gay. And so it seems like there was a different. I mean, there were definitely after. Uh, male yeah you know, homosexuals versus women it's not to say that they weren't but it's just you you hear the the different questioning right i mean she never got asked that because they weren't I mean, it wasn't gross to them like But guess. she had to wear the
1: women's clothing yeah
0: well that's a mm-hmm. gender stereotype which is sad
3: that's very very true you know and you know we do know a lot about you know gay men you know through that time and certainly you know starting in the you know 80s with the age crisis but you know there was a whole world of you know you know, women's things going on Mm -hmm. where, you know, most of the bars in New York were, um, you know, owned by the mafia. So, you know, the women were somewhat protected, but then on the other hand, they also had people who would go into the bars and for like, you know, 20, you know, a nickel or 10 cents or a quarter or whatever they would do, like, you know, that they do like in the park, they would do like a caricature of you
2: Mm -hmm.
3: and, you know, they give them the picture, but what they didn't know is they were carbon copying these and then they would go back to these women and then uh, shake them down for money. Wow.
1: Oh. There,
3: there's a whole culture about, you know, women also. Yeah. And you know, when fast forward, when we get to the age crisis, you know, I understand, we you know, we lost a population of men, but, you know, we were their friends and we were the ones who went in when nobody else would and their families wouldn't, and even doctors and nurses wouldn't yeah. take care of it was the lesbians who came in. Caregivers. And took, t- took care of them and cleaned up their vomit and brought them food and their medication and sat with them while they died. And so uh, that has always been an issue for me that's like, that is always a part of the story that is left out. It right. was the women who came, you know, the lesbians who came in and saved. A lot of these men well
0: I think in many instances there, there are points where we kind of we at least as gay men we think the lesbians for kind of steering us in the right helping us keep focused because I, I think women uh, yeah. were, I mean they had, were fighting two fights right it, it's the because uh, I'm gay but also because I'm a woman right uh, to your to the point of you know Edie had to wear you know women's clothing right high heels to, to play the part of a woman uh, and so it, it's um, doubly I mean extra hard I guess I mean you never want to compare any minority groups uh, um, plight but it is uh, it was definitely a, and it, it's always been an issue for for women uh, because again they've just they they're, they're, whether what regardless of what race you are uh, you know women tend to, to kind of fall second. We still have a long way to go before we get the equality there. Um, one of the things you mentioned, just because I, I found it a, an interesting point about Edie, just talking about her her willingness to to be part of the community, like the, the gay bars you mentioned. Uh, she would I, I read that she would go into the gay bar sometimes to and um, to hang out with her friends, but also when the raids came, she could say, "Hey, I'm with him." Right?
3: Yeah. Uh, again, this is something you know, men, gay men, and gay women did not come together until the AIDS crisis. And Edie was an anomaly in that where she had a whole group of male friends and a couple of, got, I actually had dinner with one of them just recently. She was just hanging out with him since like, you know, the early 1950s. Um, they, used, they used to go to Fire Island and dance. And I'm like, on what? There was no electricity. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, what, a record player? But he's like, yeah, we, you know, we just did what we did. But then, um, you know, Edie was an anomaly, kind of like I'm an anomaly, um, you know, not a lot of women and men like to intermingle and Edie always had a group of guys that she used to hang out with like lee goldsmith who was you know a very big comic book writer for the green lantern and all Mm -hmm. he's, he's famous and you know all these other people she was friends with uh uh, Arnold Scazzi. I mean, she was just friends with all kind. Com- I mean, just these names that come out of her. I call her Forrest Gump because like <laughs> these names just keep coming out. Like she was friends with Lorraine Hansberry. I mean, it just it just keeps coming. It's so funny, and you you know go through her calendars, and it's just like lunch with Lily Tomlin, twelve <laughs> thirty, random, <laughs> right? Like in the mid nineteen seventy. I mean, just random. <laughs> these random things we you know we come across. But um, you know Edie was friends with. A, you know, a group of guys. And you're right. Um, she would go dancing or, you know, go out to a bar with them. And if the police did come in, you know, she could grab one of them and say, well, you know, he's my boyfriend. He's right. with me. And so it, it was scary. And then, you know, the other thing, you know, people don't know, um, there's and there's still some of these laws on the books, um, you know, these gay bars, you know, when they did like the sip in at Julius and all this other stuff, do you know that you like you couldn't walk into a bar and like you could order your drink at the bar and the drink had to stay on the bar.
2: What like
1: was that you about?
3: Drink, and you know, go over to a table where somebody else was sitting, and go even if it was a friend. Like your your bar, your drink couldn't leave the bar.
1: The purpose being,
3: it's just weird. <laughs> it's
1: just all the, all the rules. point being,
3: you had to sit there because they didn't want you intermingling. Oh,
1: commingling with the other homosexuals.
3: <laughs> They just wouldn't let, your, your drink couldn't leave the bar.
0: That's, uh, <laughs> you think about these laws. And, and like you said, some of them are, are still in the book somewhere. So just uh, yeah. crazy. Yeah. She, yeah. Um, she, she also in the sixties kind of defied uh, odds. Cause she bought a, you mentioned earlier, like you couldn't really put, buy, get a mortgage or anything like that, but she bought a house in the Hamptons.
3: Yes. It, yes, she did. It, um, yeah. She bought the house in 1968 uh for $35,000 in cash and (laughs) I remember talking to her about this and I said you know I said Edie I said you know I know which is about a million three today wow and um, I said to her I was like Edie I said you know I know people who don't have $35,000 sitting in a checking account or savings account right now where they were just like buy a house on a whim and she bought it for Thea for her birthday and things were still kind of tumultuous with the two of them they weren't they weren't you know they were you know, Thea Thea gave her a, a hard time, and um, but she bought the house, you know, for Thea, and bought it for thirty five thousand in cash. And I was like, Where did you get thirty five thousand dollars in cash in nineteen sixty eight? Because you know, women couldn't get mortgages; they didn't have credit cards. They had credit cards, like Edie's credit card said, "Mrs. Edith Windsor."
2: Hmm.
3: You know, like, mm. and that's used to be, and usually you use your husband's name, so it would have been Mrs. You know. Doug Smith, you know, whatever it may be. Um, They didn't have their names on the credit card, but she had her name on the credit card, but it said Mrs. Um, So, I was like, where where did you get this money? And she was like, Oh, I was just, you know, I was good with money and I was a good saver. And she gave me some, you know, nonsense. And then like the following day, she just starts telling me this story about like when she would travel to IBM and they would travel to California. And on the way back, they would all stop in Las Vegas and, you know, and gamble and whatever. And that's my turn to her and I'm like, ha, ha okay that's where you got thirty five thousand dollars in cash in 1968 to buy the house in the hamptons and she just looked at me she goes i have no idea what
2: you're talking about
3: <laughs> and i'm like Hah. but no she got it from gambling really she, you know, she could count cards she was she was you know brilliant and my and i've talked to my dad about this he says in those days he thinks there were four decks so i mean it still wasn't an easy thing to do she got kicked out of many casinos because they caught on and she had to moving, you know, keep moving tables because she was winning too much. And they would catch on and then they would throw her out. But um, you know, she did a lot of gambling. And you know, for example, I think in you know, the late 80s when her older brother, uh, unfortunately, he, he dropped out of a heart attack at waiting for the bus in Atlantic City. Wow. And they found $8,000 in his shoe and she thought that was the best because you know her <laughs> and her was very very bright, was lots of bright her and whatever and she's like You won eight grand you know won eight thousand dollars that night that's great You <laughs> had it hidden in a shoe
1: well not many women were gambling but not many women had a master's in mathematics and were in the stem field and working and i don't even know if they were calling it it back then did she ever talk um, to you about or what did she tell you about what it was like being a woman in a field of basically a masculine field
3: You know, she was adamant about this. She said, you know, a good 30 to 40 percent of the people she worked with at IBM were women. Hmm. You know, you know, you know, they would say, oh, well, not a lot of women worked, you know, at IBM. She's like, that's not true. You know, it was a good third or, you know, 30, 40 percent was women. And she never felt she said she never felt any kind of madness men kind of put down, like, they never said, oh, needy, go make the coffee. Like, she never, I don't think she ever felt that way.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And she had a very, very different experience.
0: That seems to be uh, attributed then to the IBM cult. I just, I, I've worked in corporate America and, and have done a, a study of talking to, to, we were talking to minorities, but what we found is is um, women tended to experience the the most discrimination. Most minorities, racial, ethnic minorities say, oh, I didn't really get anything, any discrimination, but because of my race or ethnicity, but the women I said, oh yeah, cause they were, this was an engineering, uh, in the engineering world. And they, they said, um, yeah, it was definitely, they viewed me as a secretary or as the intern, or, uh, they asked me to get coffee make co- you know, make copies. And so that's good to, to hear that, you know, Edie and her colleagues didn't have that experience. Um, and
3: I, you know, from my experience being a woman on wall street and, uh, several weeks ago I did, a. uh, straight alliance at a high school. And there were a bunch of students. and I don't know, maybe fifteen students or whatever. And they asked me, like, you know, how hard is it to be gay in the workplace? And I said, I've had no issue being mm. out and gay on Wall. You know, at a Wall Street firm. I said, where I have had problems is a woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're, they all, like, they all kind of came forward, <laughs> like, you know, on the Zoom and was like, what? And I was like, no, that that's been the issue. It's never been the gay issue. It's mm. it's been the woman issue.
0: Yeah. That's that's crazy. So, um, yep. let's talk about the case, right? So, I mean, the 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 iconic case that uh, again allows us to, to get married, it pave the way for us to, to get married. So, um, obviously, it involves some of the history. Uh, uh, you know, she she uh, and her her partner and, and then wife Thea uh, Spire. Um, Uh, we're in the relationship. They met in the sixties and then, uh, had a long lasting relationship that, uh, resulted in a marriage and and that they had to go to Canada to get married in 2007. Uh, and then Thea passed Mm -hmm. away in 2009. And then we have the the case. So can you give us some, some, you know, some, some more background in terms of how we got to, uh, Edie Windsor being the, the technology expert, the fun person that knew all these famous people then to, to taking on the United States of America.
3: Um, you know as she said she was with thea for thir- 43 and three quarters years mm-hmm. and you know when thea passed away um you know and she had to pay those taxes you know she just couldn't stomach the injustice of it all because she was married and she spent you know for over 40 years with someone and she just couldn't stand it so she went to all the gay organizations and they all told her no and they all told her it was the wrong time for the movement and they all You know, they didn't really help her. And she was very, very angry and very disappointed with that, too. Um, You know, what a lot of people don't know is, you know, we first she first had to take it through the New York court system, you know, all the way up to the New York Supreme Court. And, you know, they always talk about the three hundred and sixty three thousand dollars that she paid federal taxes. She also paid two hundred and fifty eight thousand. And marriage equality passed Mm. in 2000. So it was, it was prior to all that, but she had to pay 258,000 state taxes and 363,000 federal taxes. And people always, you know, people don't mention that. And I mentioned that and you know, they're like, wow. So you're talking about like well over a half million dollars. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, she had to sell bonds and she had to do some things to like raise that cash. And, um, accountant that they had for you know 30 years 40 years he just passed away in december and i once asked him i said you know what was it like to call Edie windsor and tell her what her tax (laughs) bill was and he goes well you know that's client you know accountant you know privilege and i can't really get into a lot of details he goes but i'll tell you this you know he's almost an hour away and he goes I wasn't sure if I heard Edie Windsor screaming on the phone or if she was standing outside my window.
2: I wasn't <laughs> <quite> sure. <laughs> that,
3: that sounds about right. And that's, that's all he ever told me, but you know, it was, it was, it was something. And, you know, and you talk about the case, you know, once it got through New York Supreme court, you know, to get a Supreme court case, you know, it is not easy. I always say it's a needle in two haystacks. So the fact that Edie's case, not only did she get through you know, New York Supreme Court, and she could have stopped right then and there, because she got her money back then. But she's like, it's not worth it to me. I you know, I you know, just because the money's not worth it to me, I have to keep going. So for her case to get picked by the Supreme Court is like a needle in two haystacks. I mean, it is impossible. And then to go that far and get it and win, and you know, you talk about, you know, it was the foundation of that. To me, you know, knowing so much about this and knowing so many facts is that you know Edie Windsor and the usb Windsor started a movement because Edie's case changed 7,800 laws that did not protect and you know include same-sex people or single people and all this other stuff. So there were 700, 7,800 laws and 1,128 tax laws that she overturned. So in one fell swoop, she did the tax laws, the regular laws, don't ask, don't tell. I mean, she just took it, destroyed all of it, Prop 8, all of it in one fell swoop. And she understood this and I understood this and she talked about it a lot that she knew, and, and you know, people say, you know, why is marriage so important? I'll tell you why marriage is so important is because we had to have that institution or that foundation of marriage where, you know, we were treated, where gay Americans, you know, could live and love as other people did. And if it was not for Edie Windsor, and if it was not for that case, there is no way that we would have gender laws or trans while walking ban laws or Mm -hmm. Equality Act or all these things. She paved the way for all that. So her legacy is paving the way for all of that. She changed the game from 2013 to now. Because you think about it, we would not have gender laws today or the Equality Act today if we didn't have that foundation of marriage where we had families and children were involved and all these other things. And, you know, they'll still chip away at it, like adoption and, you know, what they did in Tennessee and trans and and whatever, they'll chip away at it. But that foundation of marriage and that Windsor case, they will never overturn. It just won't happen. And I feel the same way about Roe versus Wade. It's just, it's just virtually, mm-hmm. it's it's impossible, almost impossible, unless, you know, Trump would have won again and like nine Supreme Court justices would have yeah. been there. But it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happened. But I, I don't see where that's going to change. But, you know, that's Edie's legacy. And I tell everybody, Edie's legacy is your legacy. And it's important for you to understand, you know, all of those facets of our lives and of the lgbtq community and everything that's important and carry all of that forward with you because she started that that movement
1: did she she happen upon the supreme court case at what point did she say this could go all the way to supreme court was that inkling was that in the beginning or did she use
3: oh no no It, it just sort of evolved into that you know they first had to go through you know she definitely wanted a federal law but she had to go through a lot of that state process and then the Supreme Court process.
0: So you're saying then that that became it wasn't now initially
3: legal system.
0: Maybe initially it was. Sorry? A, maybe initially it was a, a tax issue, but then over time it became a, a bigger issue, a principled issue of, of marriage equality. Um, and and then she started correct. to get some friends along the way, I'm sure, in terms of support because.
3: You no, know, she was adamant about you know, LGBT youth, LGBT elders, LGBT youth, where 40% of the youth on the streets are LGBTQ. I mean, she, and she used, you know, as you know, she used that platform, she used that notoriety, she used that iconic Edie Windsor to, those were what all of her speeches were about. They weren't about marriage equality, we, 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 we did that. So now we pivot and this is what we have to focus on.
0: What was that reaction she had when she, she found out the verdict? I mean, I, I understand she was, uh, uh not the like ruling. she wasn't in the courthouse. Uh, so she was at, you know, they were paying attention on the web trying to figure out what was going to happen. And then the announcement but, came.
3: Like a lot of people around the country and certainly everybody in New York, you know, on Scodis blog, refresh, refresh, refresh. And, uh, you know, finally the decision came down and, uh, you know, I don't know what they did in other cities, but I will tell you in New York, I mean, everybody just poured out of their offices and poured out of there and just all went down the stonewall. It was madness. It was absolute chaos and madness, but in a wonderful, wonderful way. Mm-hmm. You know, was, you know, She went to you know, interview with Diane Sawyer and then when she came downtown, you know and uh she was always given her security the slip and she just jumped out of the escalade and went right into the crowd and they were like oh my god she, like, Edie was Winter,
0: fr- yeah wow she was
3: happy and you know and you know it, she was happy and, it was never really you know edie was never like well you know i did this i mean she never she was you know not humble but she felt very good about what she did but she wasn't obnoxious either it was that really that center way, how she could be she really felt like she did it for everybody. Did she, and she e- did it for Thea. It was, it was really selfless.
1: Did she feel pressure? A lot of responsibility. We do a lot of topics on the podcast where the first, a lot of times, it, some handle it very well. Some become addicts, some commit suicide. Um, did she ever struggle with it? The attention and the legacy part of it? Yeah.
3: She loved it because she knew it was all for good and all for positivity. You know, I, you know, when I say to people like, you know, we would walk out, we live right by Washington square park. We'd walk out of our apartment and people would walk by us and be like, Oh my God, that's Edie Windsor. And, you know, she wouldn't hear it, but I usually heard it and I would stop and be like, do you want to meet somebody? And she's like, sure. You know, <laughs> you know They would come back and fall at her feet and cry or they would, you know, just want they would just want to like walking her through a room we used to have to get security to like build a tunnel to get her from the cocktail hour to her table and so you know she would interlock arms with two guys and two guys in front of her and two guys behind her and i was sort of circling all the way around to get edie through a room was no easy task but she loved all of it you know, it was like the guy, everybody's trying to protect her, you know, the security was, you know, or police or whoever was, you know, was there or you know, volunteers from the organization. Uh, she's waving and blowing kisses to everybody. She just, she loved it. She just loved it. She loved her role. You know,
0: uh, it, was,
3: a- it was important. Yeah. You know, it was somebody, to,
0: somebody to admire. And, and it was it was great to see her get that recognition I mean because it was a hard fight right and it wasn't just that court case it was you know a 40 you know long-year relationship with her her wife thea or then wife thea that she couldn't you know announce that they were married I mean she did to her friends but you know, wore the the, the the ring the diamond ring around like a, as a brooch because you couldn't do it uh, you know couldn't wear it on your ring finger because people would ask questions right and so uh, for her to get all of that acknowledgement and appreciation I think is awesome because I mean she was Interviewed yep. by Diane Sawyer, she was recognized. People, uh, President Obama called her uh, shortly after the verdict. And, and then again, to your point, she paved the way for so much more, right? Uh, uh, Obergefell, right. uh, Bostock, all the the, uh, the the thought that we could have the Equality Act are all because of Edie Windsor's brave fight no. at, in her eighties. Um,
3: you know, I mean, the Obergefell case, you know, that slammed it shut. But when Obergefell was, you know, there, there were only thirteen states.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
3: after. Windsor case. I mean, even New Jersey, it took almost a year for New Jersey to pass marriage equality. But by the time Jim got there <laughs> two years later, there were only 13 states, Ohio being one of them. And we could probably off the top of our head, name the others, Texas, right. Mississippi, Alabama, or, you know, the usuals. Um, so, you know, he just took that and made it law of the land. And then, like you said, there would be no Bostock. There wouldn't be no equal opportunity. There would be no, you know, Adoption. I mean, you know, it just, it took, so she, I believe she started that movement
2: like, I mean, LGBT.
3: I, I, that we
0: would, I think we would all agree with you. I mean, it, did it, it she feel that. that?
1: Does she know that? Okay, good. Yeah,
3: because she as bro, You know, we talked about this at length and that's why I repeat it is because she does. I mean, she never really put it as, you know, I started this movement. It wasn't about that. She was like, we needed marriage equality. We needed that foundation. We needed that institution to go forward. Without that, we would not have all these things. You know, unfortunately, she lived to see a, a lot of it, and, and she was right, as Edie Windsor always was. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant.
0: And then you kind of came into her orbit uh, you know f- you put the full court press and, and you two uh, uh, developed a relationship and, and got married in 2016 and you know actually put a, r- a ring on each other's finger right and you know yeah. she said you, you brought her life right uh, um, you know and she didn't think that was going to mm-hmm. be possible even though everything was going you know, her her way in terms of the, the case and the accolades but uh, you really kind of brought her life and so uh, and you guys decided to get again married in, in 2016 so can you Talk to us about uh, your marriage, and I'm not, I'm, we're not looking for all the salacious, okay, uh, or People Magazine details, but uh, you know, it was a, a wonderful so book. It, it, it,
3: it's in the book, you know, I told you, you know, and where I walked her home that night and we talked for hours. And you know, before I left, you know, I was like at the front door and she just grabbed me and she threw me up against the wall and kissed me. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, you know, Edie was very, you know, she was a very sexual sexy being and she liked that about herself you know her and Thea always talking about their sex life I mean you know he talked about sex all the time it was constant you know and that was one of her things it actually at the Supreme Court is you know she wanted to talk about her love life and and the you know the relationship that her and Thea had and the lawyers were like no nobody wants to hear about your butch femme dynamic like no (laughs) that and she was adamant and then afterwards uh sotomayor went to fordham university and her cousin is a professor there and he went up to her and he was talking he said you know i'm edie windsor's cousin and this that and the other thing and she said and he was telling her the story how edie you know, even after they won the case she said i still think we should have talked about you know our intimate relationship or whatever and sotomayor was like no that was a wise decision to leave that out but
1: why was edie, it so important to her does she want to humanize
3: great thing to talk about. Because, you know, that was that's an important part of a relationship.
0: Yeah.
3: Marriage is is the intimacy. And she wanted to talk about it. And they were like, No. <laughs> <laughs> you're not talking
0: about it. Well, it's funny you say that because that's one of the things I, I, you know, when I talk about the, our fight for equality and how far it's come, I'm like, I, I always cite Lauren to be Texas because I'm like, we could not legally have sex, and people kind of like, eh, they get especially straight allies, they they cringe a bit because they're like, oh, and thinking about two men having sex, but I'm like, we couldn't, so therefore all these other aspects of our life were, were being shut out. We couldn't hold hands, we couldn't have a boyfriend, we couldn't have that first kiss in high school because, you know, we were, we couldn't do that, right? And And we couldn't definitely have sex I mean as again in high school different but in college you couldn't explore those things I mean you could but you run the risk of getting uh, arrested and then sidetracking your career, right? And so it is important. I mean, and it's a and it's a part of our being. And so, I mean, the fact that Edie Windsor, until her her, her death, I mean, was talking about that, uh, especially, again, too, not to uh, be ageist or anything, but as an older woman talking about that, I mean, society doesn't expect a, an 80-something-year-old woman to be talking about her sex life, right? And I would have loved to have read that in the going back, because, you know, as part of our podcast doing our research, we'll read the cases, and right, that would have been a great read to, uh, to read <laughs> about Edie Windsor's sex life, uh, just for nothing else to be like, it was said in front of these yeah. nine Supreme Court justices. Yeah. Right.
3: You know, Edie and I had a crazy schedule. And, you know, there were things that I was involved with that she really wasn't involved with. Hedrick Martin being one of them. Glisson was another one. So I brought her to some things with me. So it was, it was kind of interesting. But um, at her memorial service, uh, one of her doctors, and I didn't even know this, but, or, you know, because I kind of took it sort of a week at a time between her schedule and my schedule and whatever, and getting everything, you know, getting her where she needed to, you know, where we needed to be. Um, but I didn't even know this, but someone said it at her memorial service that Edie had scheduled something for October at the Martha Stewart Center at Mount Sinai in New York. To, and she was going to speak about sex in your eighties. Mm. Everybody in the whole place just cracked up. Everybody knew Edie. Like,
2: yeah.
3: this was favorite topic, you know? Um, you know if. You know, a couple, you know, a couple came to her and said, you know, oh, oh, we're not really getting along or whatever. Edie's first question. It's my first question, too. I always, how's the sex? And we're like, oh, it's not so great. But, you know, you hear about like lesbian bed death or whatever. And they'd be like, it's not that great, but it's not that important to her. It doesn't really matter. And Edie's like, oh, no, no, no. It is important <laughs> to her. And you might want to rethink that. And sure enough, within, you know, six months or a year or whenever, you know, the partner usually cheated and, and left. mm mm-hmm so she was that was always her and that was always my advice too I'm like no the sex is important
0: another thing to add to you and Edie's uh, long list of accomplishments uh, marriage counselor so (laughs) sex therapist sex therapist (laughs) Uh, and sadly, uh, Ed passed in 2017 on September 12th, uh, and there was quite a tribute, outpouring of support, uh, just in terms of what she did for for not just LGBTQ community, but for America, for this country, uh, and so, and for the, our history uh, as a as a as a nation. And uh, quite a number of folks uh, spoke. I mean, Hillary Clinton was there, which I, I think is interesting mm-hmm. because you know the Clinton administration and Hillary's was part of it was uh, you know. Part, key to passing DOMA, and for her to be there uh, celebrating Edie Windsor, I think, was just a nice cap to all that.
2: Yeah, well,
3: just because we love, you know, Edie and Obama had a really interesting, very sweet relationship, and um, whatever Obama was, he could not change his schedule. I don't remember what he was doing. I, was not, I wasn't privy to what he was doing, and I was sort of in a fog anyway, but um, he could not change his schedule, but Hillary, to her to her credit, she changed her schedule. Because that was choice number two mm-hmm. was and she changed her schedule to be there which we thought was absolutely amazing and it does sort of go full circle you know i don't know if people understand that you know it was bill clinton who signed the mm-hmm. defensive act and that's when david mixner walked out of the white house he was very upset and whatever and you know when people say things to me like that i'm like you know when they signed the defensive marriage act Edie and thea had already been together for 30 years that had to hurt.
0: Yeah, I mean, so, I, I think that... You know, that
3: was, you know, you know, Bill Clinton did that full-page op-ed in the New York Times saying, the bad decision, or, you know, one of my most regrettable decisions, and, you know, I think that was very helpful.
1: Did Hillary ever acknowledge it and mention it to Edie about the, that it was her husband's, you know, it was Section 3 of DOMA that the case yeah. overturned, her own husband's um, bill. No. Did she ever acknowledge it? <laughs>
3: No, <laughs> not, not not like that she didn't acknowledge it, but you know, it was there. I mean, it, it it was what it was, you know, but you know, I don't think they ever had a, and I've never had a conversation with her about it. Uh, we just, you know, history's, mo- we've moved, you know, we've moved on, you know. Um, there was a, you know, a saying in, in her case that, you know, times can blind. And at that time, politically, to win his second term, which I think you know was probably a good thing in the big grand scheme of things, same with Obama, he never really came out on marriage equality in his first, you know, term.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And Edie spoke to him, and he said, you know, she's like, "Thank you, Mr. President, for like all you've done," you know. And he goes, "Well, but I didn't do anything. I didn't. I didn't get it back. She goes, "That's what your second term is for." <laughs> mm-hmm. So it wasn't really until his second term either, you know. And then from 1996 to 2008. 2012? I mean, seriously, Mm -hmm. like no joke. So, you know, it took that long, but you know, as soon as Obama went into his second term, that's, that's when the floodgate opened on marriage equality and some other, you know, and other things, but, you know, certainly marriage equality is Obama's probably his greatest legacy on a civil rights issue. Yeah. You know, he's very proud of that. The Obama foundation and library, um, I just, they just, they asked for several things and I love what they asked for. Wanted her pink scarf and the pink hat that she wore at parades, the grand marshal sash. Um, Something else I can't remember, but but this was the greatest. Um, The, her, nobody knows I'm a lesbian t-shirt. Right. Right. Obama Foundation and asked for that, and I'm like, you can yes, and I did it sort of like as a charitable loan agreement because I think ultimately it should end up in a national LGBTQ museum. But once it goes into archive, they share everything, and like Ed stuff is not always going to be on display. Mm -hmm. So you know, once it goes into archive, at least it's in archive to be shared and you know moved around. So um, I love that they asked for that.
0: Yeah, that's awesome.
1: (laughs) So what is it like for you as the widow of this? grand historical figure really um, um is there a sense of pressure do you feel overshadowed do you just feel honored like what is the feeling
3: honored, honored. i grateful um you know there's so many people like you know that say to me they're like oh we're so sorry for your loss I'm like no no like you know Edie and I had a beautiful life Edie had an amazing life you know do I do I miss her every second of every day I go into tears right yes I absolutely could but I am so grateful and so honored and so you know that this woman of love loved me Mm -hmm. and it's it's a privilege and you know um and then you know in the last three years I've gotten I don't know 20 or 30 things named after her you know there's the Edie Windsor Sage Center there's the Edie Windsor you know visitor center at Hedrick Martin we just opened up the Edie Windsor Healthcare Center at Stony Brook Southampton Hospital, and you know it was HIV and AIDS. And I said, if you're going to put Edie Windsor's name on it, you have to expand it. You have to expand it to LGBT youth. You have to expand it to trans- transgender health. You have to expand it to you know uh, other things. And most important, mental services. You know, so they did. We we got triple the amount of space, and and they just opened it May 4th, and that was like a soft opening. And we'll do a you know, a larger one. Um, they're also building a Edie Windsor heart in the town of Southampton. And you know it's gonna be a heart and within the hearts there's gonna be interlocking hearts that you can get engraved with whatever you want to put on it. I've had people put, you know, just something to Edie. They've put their pets, they've put, you know, a friend who died of AIDS years ago. They've put their marriages. So you can put anything you want on this heart and uh it's gonna you know, we're we're kinda of sold out of the hearts.
0: <laughs> well, that's that's a good place to be. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's awesome that you you've continued to to work to to make sure her legacy is you know remembered and continues on. I mean, like you said, her her name is on a, a number of things, but you've done it purposefully. I mean, it, as you talk about the, the the which was the HIV and AIDS uh, Center, you said, okay, if we're gonna do it, it's got to be all encompassing, right? And yeah. I think that's really uh, great. I mean, I mean
3: this summer alone. There were two transgender kids who moved, one from New Jersey and one from, I think, New York, and they moved out to the Hamptons and we, they could not find doctors to sort of help with their therapy and all this other stuff. So, you know, a doctor from callen Lord called me and another doctor I know called me and was like, send them to the Edie Windsor Center and mm. you know, save their lives. You know, it matters. Yep. You know, it, everything, ma- it, it all matters. And that's and so a. That- you know it's you know you say oh what you're doing with Edie's legacy i'm like it's not it's not just Edie's legacy it's your legacy it's our responsibility to carry on and help the trans community and help you know the homeless youth and it's, it's our responsibility and that's how Edie felt that's how i feel and that's how and i say it's
1: our legacy uh, which is so much more than just marriage equality so it seems like part of the reason she's so iconic is because she was able to deliver a message that's more just than more than just the Windsor case. You've talked about her legacy. What mm-hmm. would what is like the if someone says, Tell me about Edie Windsor, what is kinda like the two or three to to boil it down to something that's so like I have to get you to understand it quickly, here's what she is about.
3: Um You know, I I, I actually would really like to take it to stuff. I mean, she was glamorous. You know, she really has like, she's like a standout, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, she was like that Betty Dave, like she was, she was glamorous. So, you know, she was like the perfect plaintiff. Um, But, you know, you also have to, she was, she was a human being. You know, I always joke that Edie was the first one at a party she had tall glass of water and ice with tito's first one on the dance floor and the last one to leave (laughs) she she was she was in bed like everyone he liked a good party you know she started the first you know there's something amazing is you know every single organization like i was talking about east end gay organization that then became legally which was long island lesbian and gay whatever now it's the lgbt network you know Edie and thea were on the ground level of all of those things they were the ones who gave the money so they could buy the center building on 13th street they were their founding members of sage they were founding members of ego they were founding members of cal lord they were founding members of all of these things you know all while living in the shadows and all while living you know in the closet and um in their own way i mean they were out to their community but they were very very you know close to the chest and um you know that's that's who she was and that's you know that's I wonder about this um you know in our building you know we live at two fifth avenue and Larry Kramer also lived in that building mm. he lived on the third floor we lived on the eighth floor and uh especially after Edie passed away I saw Larry every single day he was extremely helpful to me and I think I was very helpful to him too but I saw him every day so that was a big loss for me but um you know i used to go into his apartment the door was always unlocked and i would just go into his apartment and not to startle him around because you know he would see me come in or whatever and i would just scream out i'm like where's our greta Thunberg?" <laughs> because we don't have a standout mm. young person you know we have you know greta, uh, on climate change and we have the kids at parkland on you know guns and you know that but we do not have a standout lgbtq person we you know where is the Peter Staley's and the Cleve Jones and the David Mixoners and the Edie Windsor's and all these, you know, well, Edie wasn't famous and Larry Kramer, you know, mm-hmm. where we, we, we don't have one. And I'm looking for one. And that's why I go on social media and TikTok and whatever. I'm like, there's got to be one yeah. <laughs> there has to be somebody who could be a great spokesperson for us. And they're like, why don't you do it? I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm too old. I'm not doing it. <laughs> no, I'll no. help. Hey, not, like, it, you know, if you I, de- I, can't, I can't reach. 30 year old.
0: If Edie taught us anything, you're never too old, right? I mean, she, she, I mean, she, she kept going and, and
3: I'm not a millennial and I'm not a Gen Z. It's a very different culture. It's a very different upbringing. And, you know, if they would explain it to me, I'm all in. I know know a lot of them. I'm all in, but like, I don't think I could be that standout person. And that's why I'm hoping like an Elliot Page or Alina, You know, hey, and you know, so, you know, can can jump in, and you know, I don't think it should be a Hollywood person. It needs to be, you know, a Greta Thunberg,
2: yeah, you
3: know, real grassroots, really. You know, she has it right here, right here in her gut.
0: Well, I, I mean, I think that again, to, to on the Edie again provides a great example that you don't have to be a Hollywood profile star, like you're saying, right? You could be someone who's just working hard, doing good things in their community, uh, and having that small impact, and then ultimately get to the point where you're like enough is enough. We got to do something about this, right? And I mean, because of EDI, though, I think a lot of us are spoiled because she's worked so hard. And the people you know that were coming up around her time that fought for rights that we now enjoy, that we just kind of, a lot of us just shrug and say, of course, this is this is how it should always be. Um, but it, it, there, we, again, we still have a fight to, to go. I mean, I mean, I, I think I remember hearing stories where Edie would still to, to after you guys were married, she would still close the, the, the curtains when you guys would like she, you would go and try to kiss her because all those years with her mm-hmm. her and her wife, she was scared that, you know, you couldn't be caught because then there were consequences to that. Right. And we don't live in that fear. Most of us don't. Right. And so um, so I, that's a good thing. Uh, that's a good thing. But at the same time, uh, there's still a fight to be to be had. Right.
3: Yeah. No, yeah, she used to close the curtains or you know, we were walking down the street and I kinda held her hand. She would she would kinda hold my hand, but then I remember being in an intersection on Sixth Avenue and Fourteenth, and Fourteenth was obviously, you know, a big intersection. And as the light changed and we were gonna cross over, she just slowly just let my hand go because there was a lot of people coming mm. towards us. She carried those fears and like, you know, things aren't perfect. You know, I know uh, young people still struggle to come out and parents aren't as, you know, as, you know, easy, you know as, 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 you know, some some struggle, some are 100% on board, some get it, some don't. Um, I also find that it's also interesting where, like, the parent knows their kid is gay. They don't know what to do. And, you know, they, the kid can't quite come to them yet. And I'm like, just be as easy and flow with it as best you can and it'll sort of come organically um but you know we do have a way to go but where we've come from is totally different
0: and it's i hate
3: to to say this but you know you talk about like black lives matter and then you know we had you know the china flu so then people were you know there was uh problems with asian community and now you know, what's going on in Israel and Palestine? Well, now they're beating up Jews on the street. You know, I've always said gays are kind of low down on the totem pole
2: mm-hmm. where they
3: weren't, you know, 40, 50 years ago. You can kind of walk down the street, you know, don't get me wrong. There's a huge trans issue, you know, murdering trans women, um, but, you know, and people of color and whatever, but, you know, it, it's going through the cycle. But, you know, you don't hear too much about, except for the trans, you know, obviously it's an issue, but that's not our biggest issue.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, we're lucky in the U.S. I mean, you still see it outside of the U.S., which is unfortunate. Uh, and uh, you know, hopefully, we can be an example for other folks. But I mean, you see, recently in Iran and other countries, where gay teens and 20, you know, young, young gays are, are 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 getting beheaded by their own family, being you know, so. Uh, yeah, we've made progress in, in our in our in the U.S., but uh, we, you know, because we're thankful we're not in that situation, um, except for our, our trans siblings. But uh, but again, we have we have folks like Edie to, to think. We have folks like yourself to to think, because I mean, you're carrying on the message. You're making sure that it's not just a one and done. Uh, we, there's a continued fight. It has to stick. It has to make sure that you know we can live up to the promise that you've said, in terms of this case doesn't get overturned, right? Because right now we're subject to nine Supreme Court justices, unless Congress wants to do something different uh which they haven't shown the the backbone to do but uh i mean it's, it's people like you who do i mean i know you're saying you're not a millennial not on tiktok but i mean your your message and i you're very active uh in terms of you know talking to different folks and being gracious to even you know talk to, to our podcast so we appreciate appreciate I mean, that
3: whatever but you know just recently we had a supreme court judge in new york on the new York supreme court judge and he got leukemia and passed away within three months was very very upsetting and of course there were many people vying for that you know seat and there were actually two gay men and I got a call from the executive director of the center and somebody else and whatever and I, I I have sort of a conduit to Cuomo and so I wrote a letter and I pushed for it and whatever and sure enough the press release was yesterday and I got a bunch of calls and I'm like just doing what I got to do like this was the best person for the job and we wanted an LGBTQ person to, you know, take that seat and yeah.
0: You know. well, well so in addition so like,
3: Cuomo was very influential. And so I that's what I mean. I use my name and I use my thing for good.
0: Sure. So that
3: kind of, that's a weekly, daily basis for me.
0: I think that's, that's I mean, so to, to that point, right, you 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 carry forward Edie's legacy, but you do it in ways that aren't just talking about her, her all the time, right? You're using, you're endorsing candidates. Uh, I, I've seen you active in doing that, uh, whether it's uh, through, you know, supporting their campaigns or writing letters directly. Wh- what else do, you know, where can we see and you? And even
3: to the point, you know, it's, a, it's open Sorry, we just opened up the Edie Windsor Center in Hampton Bays because we looked at the demographics of the patients that are there now. And it goes from Montauk to Islip. I don't know if you know Long Island well, but, you know, that's about, you know, not 100 miles, maybe 75 miles. And um, somebody contacted me on Facebook and whatever, but there's a trans resource center in Islip, which is about, oh, 40, 45 minute drive from here. And I said, please, here, here's my email and here's my phone number. Have them reach out to me. And she called me yesterday afternoon. I was on a call, but, you know, I called her back this morning because I want to, you know, I want all of those resources and, you know, know that the resources at Stony Brook Southampton Hospital, you know, if they need those resources, medical attention, m- mental health needs, you know, I'm always, I'm constantly, it's, it's constant with me.
0: That's great. I mean, we, we definitely. I mean, I know as a as a benefactor to, to in the, in the community, we definitely appreciate uh, what what you do, how you how you spread again ED's legacy, but also you know, pr- continue to promote equality uh, and ensuring that we have the resources so that we can you know have equal equal rights, uh, whether that's healthcare, whether that's access to things, uh, uh, re- opportunities. I mean, what you're doing is 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 phenomenal. So we definitely, uh, I know I definitely appreciate folks like yourself who are just. Active in the community and making sure and using the, the the leverage that you do have in a positive way to, to influence so Thank you, but for that, um, there are a number of ways. I guess you know because I I know I'm mindful of time, uh, and I appreciate you, you sharing uh, everything that you have. Uh, in terms of where uh, where we can find you, you're very active on on social media. Uh, it, on Instagram, folks can find you at Judith underscore Kaysen Windsor, and on Twitter at J underscore Kaysen Windsor.
3: I'm not on Twitter that much. Okay. I'm more Instagram and old school Facebook.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Uh, Is there anything else that I mean? I know. Well, by the time this comes out, we'll have. uh, Yeah, I
3: mean, you know, a lot of people do. A lot of people do reach out to me. Uh huh. Um, I always joke. I don't even have to go on a a dating website. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not. not, You know, I'm not flying across the country. (laughs) Anyway, um, I joke about that. But no, a lot of people do contact me, and that's how I found this trans resource center you know, about 45 minutes from here. And I said, have them call me. I want them to be aware of what we're doing here, you know, in Hampton Bay." but, um, you know, it's, I, I am accessible, you know, and I'm also taking resumes for that Greta Thunberg or whoever. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We'll they like me, Alfonso David, a few, a few other national kind of people and we'll, you know, we'll look at their resumes, but we're looking for, or Greta
0: Thunberg. Yeah. Well, no, I'm there with you. We, we can talk offline, but I, I definitely am uh, uh, close to your cause there. Um, yeah and then, of course, Edie Windsor. I mean, you are, like I said, continuing to to take forward her, her legacy and the good work and all the uh, the opportunities she, that she's helped us uh, receive. Um, she's got a web. There's a website for Edie Windsor. It's at EdieWindsor.com, and on Instagram and Facebook. On Instagram, it's uh, Windsor Edie, and on Facebook, the Edie Windsor, uh, where um, you know you can find out just there's reminders and then other events that are associated with whether it's the scholarship or whether it's a, a new wing. Tool a hospital or something that's being uh, named in uh and ed's honor it's all there at the website i guess
3: yeah and I then say there's glamour in my job <laughs> <laughs> it sounds glamorous but it's 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 a lot of work but it's it's good work it's good like good trouble it's it's good work and then you know doing that work and um you know you rarely see my name anywhere and that's on purpose yeah. you know i don't have any you know, like, like Edie, you know, and, you know, when I spoke to Edie about having her name on buildings and things we were going to be named after her. And she was like, I don't, can I curse on here? Am I allowed
2: to do it? Oh yeah." <laughs> but Please. She
3: did use the curse word. She was like, I don't um, the F word. And she was like, I'm going to be dead. So it makes no difference <laughs> to me. And I said, well, it matters. I think it's very important that your name is on things and not just, you know, it's, it's LGBTQ and, and, and a woman, you know,
0: yeah visibility is important
3: dedications and things like that there's not many they just had their first one in Central Park last summer which is pretty pathetic but you know so it's kind of twofold for me
0: yeah for sure
3: world's changing
0: yes slowly but surely you mentioned also a, a, a book, uh, it's worth mentioning, A Wild and Precious uh, Life, a memoir uh, published, uh, which was, was published in 2019. It's written by uh, Edie Windsor, yeah. along with Joshua Lyon. So and you can said you can find it online, Amazon, as well as other bookstores. Yeah.
3: Yes, absolutely. Um, and these are Edie's words. We left out several chapters and several stories because if Edie didn't have final say on them, we mm. didn't put them in the book. But we have them, and we will release them at some point, and, you know, we'll continue to do that. And then the paperback just came out on May 25th.
0: Very good. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, so
3: great, great reviews.
0: One of the things, though, I, I was listening to uh, in preparation for this, lots of um, things that uh, – ed have been said about Edie, and it, it really struck me i think it was something hillary clinton said uh in, in the memorial and because it, it was struck me because i'm in this point personally where it's just kind of like i was someone was asking me the other day like do you feel that we're going to move past where we are because there's a lot of tension Polarization in society, and the fact that Edie Windsor just continued to fight at you know in in her 70s and 80s for something so huge was monumental. And uh, what I think mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton says, she refused to give up on the promise of America. Not a cynical, defeatist bone in her body. And through her determination and sheer force of will, she brought us another step closer to a more perfect union. And I just think that to me, when I read that, it was like, and I had just told someone like, I don't know. I mean, I'm hopeful, but I'm not. Op- I mean, I'm opt- I'm hopeful, but I'm not optimistic. Optimistic. I'm not. I don't know where we're going to be in the next five years. But for Edie Windsor to have lived in the closet for that that, that many years, her marriage denied, uh, and and to fight the big fight, uh, to me was it was it was it was chilling and it was inspirational. And um, you helped bring that uh, to life for me again. Uh, so I thank you and I thank Edie for for that as well. So thank you so much for spending time with us today.
3: And, and I joke, you know, because people are like, you hmm. know. I'm like, what do you think? She just fell out of the sky and landed on the steps of the Supreme Court. You know, Edie was known at SAGE as the best pamphlet hander-outer at Union Square Park. (laughs) 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 And she also volunteered, so if they were having, you know, some kind of workshop or doing something, like Edie ran the registration table. I mean, she did this for decades. I mean, she was a grassroots, volunteered for everything, you know, not the notoriety kind of, you know, she was, she volunteered. She used to go over to dinner at Sage and serve food and, you know, do all this stuff. I mean, she's, you know, like, you know, and I've done all that also, you know, this is real grassroots activism. And that's why, you know, I, I want young people to start doing this and being known that these resources are there and how hard we work to get those resources, but we need your help. Absolutely. Need your help to you know volunteer and and do some of these things even help uh, you know volunteer and help out when we have these big events we need volunteers and they're usually you know the 25 35 you know 30 year olds
0: right come like help right and sometimes you can do this volunteering virtually I know some folks can you know you can do it from your computer send out an email re- you know, invitations and those, those sorts of things so there's always ways you can get involved that no doubt
3: can, phone I, I'm even doing <laughs> phone banking for um, one of the candidates for city council uh, in New York. I mean, I thought my phone banking days were over, but <laughs> I was like, come on, you can't, come on. Yeah. Like, okay. I said, yeah. I can't do it tomorrow, but I'll do it. Like there, I'll, I'll do it. I'll definitely do it.
0: So no excuses.
3: There's no excuses. I mean, you know, it's like a half hour hour of my time doing some phone banking because there's, there's several LGBT candidates, you know, running for Manhattan borough president. Uh, Eric Bocher's running for city council. You know, we have, quite a few and so we have to you know so i got a phone bank for now yeah right?
0: no that's that's great i mean that's, again it's, it's getting the phone
3: involved. Banks were over i'll do anything <laughs> else like i thought that was over but it's not it's never over can't be over
0: do you have a preference you're
1: willing to say on the, for the mayor's race
3: you know i don't i don't have a preference for that it's you know um it's wide yeah um, I will tell you the only person that I know as well is, is Scott Stringer. And at the moment, the DCC and the LGBT community is kind of standing behind Scott Stringer. But we haven't gotten that far along to, you know, where the race is going to be. So I really don't know. But I could tell you some of the other races where, where I am. Okay. Like I'm an Attenborough to... president where I am. and yeah, to... the The mayor's race is wide.
1: Yeah, it feels very yeah. wide open. And there's yeah. only a month left but it feels like it's anyone's race at this point
3: just for fun i will just do a plug um i really like de blasio i mean mm-hmm. he's a good guy he's tried really hard he should have got i told his wife this i was having a glass of wine with her and i told her i was like he should have gotten a really good publicist years ago because yeah. it's all about you know let's be serious yeah. you know with what what is going on with cuomo i find it very hard to believe and i had a long conversation with the LGBT liaison for, you know, Cuomo, who's a very good friend of mine. He was for the mayor and now he's uh, the governor. And I spoke to him and he was like, what do you think? And I said, "I I just find it hard to believe, you know, that, you know, his being attorney general for the state of New York and everything he's done with his father. And, you know, now this is his third term as governor and we're at the tail end here. And why all of a sudden is this big explosion of this.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: You know it. I, you know, was he perfect? No, um, but I I find it a little. You know, and you know what media can do. You know, they obviously got some press on this. I mean, it's ten thousand. You know, everybody knows to get a publicist, ten thousand dollars a month, and you can get pushed out there. Whatever you want to get pushed yeah. out there.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Great length, because you know I think back. You know, older than you two. I think back. You know, when Rosie O'Donnell was doing her show. We all knew she was gay, nobody knew. Yeah. And same thing with Ellen way back. You know, you don't want, you know, there's so much going on with, you know, people that, you know, what they can keep out of the news as much as in the news.
0: Oh, yeah, you think of plenty of celebrities and stuff that have been, you know, you you now after they're out, especially you hear some of the stories where things got hidden, uh, uh, swept on the rug. Um, Yeah, we were just talking about uh, a person in history from the 30s and 40s who was a a trans uh, woman. And, um, yeah, she got, I mean, because she had connections, uh, she stayed out of trouble. uh, And, you know, that that helped.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So you know what you can keep out of the press, you can also put in the press, and especially in this day and age with social media and you know the way just things travel, you know it just it's I I tell you, we we talk about it all the time. I am so glad I did not grow up with social media.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, I kind of grew up when it's, it was when too I was to take on when I was an adult. So all the stuff that uh, that happened when I was in college and in uh, high school missed the social media age. So I looked out there. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, Judith in windsor thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate all of, again, sharing everything about you. you know, uh, eat, go ahead.
3: Cheetos, water and ice, tall glass.
0: Yes. That's what we're going to have after this.
3: <laughs> it's called the Edie Windsor.
0: Oh, is it?
2: He, yes. so, let's, oh, I love that. Let's
0: do that recipe again? Yeah. So what, can you do that recipe one more time?
3: Cheetos. Water, nice, tall glass.
0: Simple.
1: All the right. The Edie Windsor, I love that. The Edie Windsor. I've been drinking Edie Windsors for years and didn't know it.
3: You carry around the little carry around know, the little airplane, little bottles of vodka, because most of the events you go to, they usually just have wine. He came prepared. <laughs> like a Girl Scout. Like, <laughs> he came prepared. Little
0: bottles. That's going to have to be one of our slang banks. So. We're always talking about LGBTQ slang, so uh, the Edie Windsor is going to be one of, one of the one. ones we uh, use going forward. I so. Uh, again, thank you very much. Anything else you, yeah. you care to uh, share with our listeners before we before we wrap up?
3: You no, know, I you know I just you know she Edie, Edie worked hard, but she was also a person, and she was a lot of fun and very smart. And you know, where's our like like I said, I'm you know I'm willing to talk to anybody. And we're we'll take we'll take resumes. I'm there with or you. Years, you know, we <laughs> want to put them on a national stage. We you know.
0: Absolutely. Let's do it. Let's uh, I I'm uh, I'm on this mission with you now. So, let's find the the, the next Greta, so for sure. Yeah.
3: Our Greta. Our we Greta. Need. Yes.
0: Our Greta. Yes, for sure. All right. Well, thank you again very much. We appreciate it. Uh, again, with Judith Case in Windsor, she is an LGBTQ activist. Again, I'm going to label you historian because of everything you shared with us is 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 our American history. So thank you for doing that. And the surviving spouse of, of Edith Windsor, an LGBTQ icon who helped pave the way, not just for marriage equality, but for many of the rights that we have today. So thank you very much. We appreciate it. Wow. That was quite the interview, huh? I, she said, again, it was going to be fun. I had a good time. She
1: was very generous with her information, with her time. I mean, because we spoke after we did that interview, we spoke for another at least 30 minutes to an hour. Yeah. Um, She is very cognizant of her, the legacy of her wife, and she's kind of the caretaker of it, which is very admirable. And she wants people to know um, how great of a woman her wife was and how important of a decision it was.
0: And it absolutely was. I mean, she. I mean, she's the one who reached out to us initially, right? I mean, first she started sharing the stuff where we we mentioned uh, Edie Windsor in our post. and then you know, we had a couple uh, some exchanges on and and in the DMs, as the kids will say. And uh, yeah, it was cool, but always always gracious to your point, always very giving, and so just to hear the stories about. Edie Windsor, and then just to see, you know, in the background, right, I mean, obviously the folks listening couldn't see it, but the prominent pictures of Edie Windsor, it was just so cool, but she's done a lot to make sure uh, we don't forget, um, so we, the 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 request then is to, you know, the younger folks listening to it, and even the older folks that are listening to it, it's like, talk about Edie Windsor, I mean, what she did for us, again, our LGBTQ plus community, but also for um for this country is is huge and so it's worth noting and remembering. All right. Well, uh, I love that. I, I mean, for us, like I said, being nerds of history, uh, super cool to, to talk to her. Uh, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Economy Works. If you need help with marketing, hire a freelancer. If you need help with building a website, hire a freelancer. You need help with benchmarking analysis, hire a freelancer. Economy Works believes in the power of connection and wants to connect you with its talent network. The talent network has over one thousand years of experience and it's growing in HR, marketing, IT, accounting, and other specialties. Economy Works. When we work, the economy works. You can find out more to economyworks.com. That's E-C-O-N-O-M-I-W-O-R-K-S dot com. All right. I think uh, we've had uh, quite a fun episode. So uh, happy pride to everyone. Thank you for listening to our podcast and kikiing with us. A special thank you to the guy who keeps our sound in check. And he had to do some double duties because we needed to edit it down. Not edit down, but make sure that our our interview was uh, well executed. So, uh, Spencer, we appreciate him doing that. Uh, Of course, you can catch Spencer and Chris, who is our regular on our show, uh, with our Spoopy podcast and our Rupee podcast. Our Spoopy does True Crimes and Murder Mystery. Our Rupee does uh, RuPaul's. Drag race recaps. Um don't forget to subscribe so you can hear future episodes. You can visit our websites at let's talk about gay Stuff.com, and you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Let's Talk Gay Stuff and on Twitter at talk Gay Stuff. Follow us so you can get a daily dose of LGBTQ plus history. Also, leave us a review if you're still listening. Right after you press end, you can uh, leave us a review. Go press those five-star buttons uh, and tell us what you think. If you don't want to do it in public, you can drop us a line at Let's Talk About Gay Stuff at gmail.com. All right, we are part of the ListenWorks Network. We're here. We're queer. Get used to it.